everyone, and welcome to this conversation presented by White House Custom Color. I'm Jed Toffer. Thanks for listening. You know, my wife Vicki and I have owned and operated our photography studio, V Gallery, for 20 years now. White House has been our lab for the last 16 of those years, and we could not be happier. White House is a family-run business, just like ours. If you haven't already, check them out at whcc.com. And if you want to drop me a line, feel free to email me at jed at whcc.com. This is, this is an exciting and, and nerve-wracking interview for me. <laughs> no way. I'm, I'm the one who is nerve-wracked. You, you don't need no. to do that. You do this all the time. Thank you so much I, for coming. I do do this all the time. I've done this many, many times, but, and that's, and I think that's how I know, you know, some of them are more nerve wracking than others make me more nervous than others. And this one, this one, this one is up there for a few reasons. And and I want to talk to you briefly just about that. Maybe for my own, for my own good, um, in my own, uh, well-being during this, because I've, I've creeped on you a little bit online, right. On, on, on the webs, because as as one does these days, especially, um, myself, uh, in particular, and I've, and I've, I've gotten bits and pieces, right. Cause what I, I try not to, for, for my own style, I try not to gather too much information because I want to find out and have this process and this conversation be organic, um, for my own well-being as well as for my audience. Right. But I get little bits and pieces from you and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit astounded at who you are or, or at least who I think you are. Cause I don't, I don't know you. You don't know me. See, there it is. You're just confused. That's all. Well, it's, a mis- it's a misunderstanding. Potentially I am confused and that's, you know, that's actually very likely, but that doesn't mean that I'm confused in a way that you're not potentially even more amazing than I think you are. And I'm not pandering. I'm really not. Cause I, I know that sounds pandering, but I'm really trying not to. I, I'm legitimately a little nervous. I'm, I'm, I, I was just reading through, cause I've seen some things uh, about your trips to Venezuela. I know you have a, a heart for Venezuela. Um, and so I'm reading through um, just really your perspective um, of, of Venezuela and what's going on and what's been happening there. And I'm thinking to myself, here's a person that, it, that even from relatively such a young age has experienced more from my perspective than most people I know experience in their entire lives. Do you think that's accurate? Do you have a sense that that's that's accurate? Very generous. And I so appreciate it. Just that's a super sweet way way to to introduce me. And, (laughs) and actually, and actually, no, I don't think that at all. Well, maybe, maybe you don't think it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Well, because from my perspective and Venezuela is a perfect example, right? Um, I work, I've been working on a long-term project there for the last seven going on eight years now my favorite place in the world. I haven't been able to go back this year due to the pandemic right. and I'm, I'm now planning my return and I, I can't wait most importantly to see the amazing community of Venezuelan photographers that, that I love and miss so much and I'm honored mm-hmm. to call friends um, and, and also to continue my work there. But, you know, uh, Venezuela is a perfect example because, you know, I am a, a gringa, I'm a North American. I was born in New York, raised in North Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm based in, in, in New York city. And so, um, yes, absolutely. Like through being a documentary photographer, I've had the immense privilege to travel all over the world and see a lot of things and have a lot of really incredible experiences and a lot of difficult ones. Um, you know, but, but ask any Venezuelan, they've seen more than me. They live it full time, right? Of you know, and that's, and that's the case for so that that that's the case for so many people. That I mean, almost everybody that I come in contact with on my long term projects is, you know, is 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 dealing with a daily life and a reality that I I I simply dip in and out of, right? So so 
I, I have had this really unique sort of breadth of experience in terms of, 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 of entering many, many super complex life stories and spaces. And I'm, and I think that's such an immense privilege because it, it teaches so much, but nothing compared to, to pretty much everybody I document, right? Those are the people that I think are really special. Um, no, so that, I, and, that, I, and I think that that's a big part of my sort of philosophy with this work. I get that. Com- I get that completely. I have a sense that you have a sense of, of, a, of, well, and so I, I tentatively have called this and I never do this, but I did this before, before we even started talking, obviously, before I even met you, I, I'm tentatively calling this episode aware. Hmm. And, and, and because I have this sense that, that you have a sense of not only self-awareness, but awareness for others, I'm guessing that you would score really highly in, in empathy in the strength finders test that I took one time. That's why I'm referencing that. But I, I have the, this, uh, this sense that you are striving to bring awareness to the comfortable and the complacent maybe here in the United States. Is that off? Am I? Well, thanks again. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. That's a big title to live up to. Um, so, so I hope I can live up to it. Um, yeah, you know, I think, of course, of course, that's true, right? Of course, that's part of it. Um, I think, you know, as a documentary photographer, as a journalist, I wrestle very often with with what we truly can do, right? With what mm-hmm. the power of an image is, with what the power of journalism is. Can we really make change? You know, I think a lot of more old school perspectives on photojournalism had this idea that, you know, you can make one picture and it can change the world. And I think maybe there was a world in which that was more true. I, I think with the proliferation of images in our current world, I don't think that that is, I, I think that's a drastic oversimplification. And I think it may be less true now than ever. Um, because there's just so much content in general. Because there's some, yeah, that's, I think that's a, a major factor. Um, I also you know, can, I hope that we can raise awareness. I hope that we can all raise our awareness. I also think that you have to have a level of openness and that a lot of times people actually consume information that reinforces their worldview as opposed to searching right. for information yes. that changes it, you know? Yes, so, they, they, people remain in their echo chambers because that's what's comfortable. Totally. Right? It, you know, that's so, so I, yes, I, w- I would love if I can raise a single awareness, one person's awareness of this work, then cool. But, you know, if I'm really, really honest, I do this for me, you know, like, okay. and, and I think that that's, um, I almost feel like it would be arrogant of me to, like, I do this because I want to learn, because I want to explore, explore, and because I'm pretty sure that, like, I can't change the world but I can change myself, you know? And I think of this oh. as a sort of like constant practice of, of, learning, of learning more and sort of reshaping myself through, through what I'm being taught by the people I photograph. You know, I really like to think of the people I photograph as my teachers. Um, and so, and if that, you know, if that process is something that I can share, I really, you know, I really want to believe that it is, but sometimes I get very skeptical about that, you know? So you know, raising awareness is, it's active, right? You don't, you can't give it to somebody because to actually change one's own awareness is a, is an active process, right? Like, it's like, you Mm -hmm. can't, uh, like, you don't, you don't get fit by watching the workout. You, you get fit (laughs) by doing it, you know? Oh, I Um, wish you wouldn't have gone there. I'm building a workout room in my space right now. And and that's, (laughs) that's like, touching a nerve <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's a really good you know, right i do yes. it too you like watch the little workout videos on instagram and you're like oh yeah wow yeah. that's exhausting but yep. like I, I think that you know educating oneself and 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 expanding one's horizons is it's a very it's not a passive process right so like no, no. I, I hope to put information out there that maybe could be part of that process for people but i also don't want to like overestimate the role you know, because sometimes I do feel like all we can really change is ourselves. To continue, the, okay, yes. To continue the analogy, though, 
the workout analogy, right? There's a there's an intent, there's an intentional piece there, there's an active piece there. I mean, you have to get off your butt and make it happen, right? Or it's not going to happen. Um, for you personally, wh- what does it look like for you to continue? I mean, are there times where you think to yourself, I, I, this is really hard. I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Or do you struggle with not, not wanting to do like the motivation piece? Cause the workout piece, I mean, it requires a will, it requires a discipline, right. To stay at it. Um, what, what does it require for you? What does it look like for you to keep doing it? Because it doesn't come across to me as something that is easy. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I just want to revise my previous statement because also I realized that like, I feel like I'm a two headed monster a little bit. Like, you know, the the side that says like, you can't change others is in constant argument with the side that wants to. And of course I want to, right. You know, like, and of course course I see desperate need all over the world to do that. And of course the work, the, the nature of making it is that one hopes that like, people see it and have a reaction and that maybe that reaction, yes. like, yes. you know, broadens horizons and helps them understand things they didn't previously understand. So of course that is true. Um, and then in terms of motivation, you know, to be, to be really honest, I think the work is actually the easy part for me. Mm. Like mm. I don't, there's the moment in my life when I am working with people who inspiring who inspire me when I'm covering a situation that I think needs to be seen when I'm you know witnessing history transpire firsthand when I'm you know sharing space with somebody who's done something amazing or whose life is amazing you know that's just a joy and a privilege. And that gives me sort of boundless energy. I mean, you know, and that's just such a gift to be able to do as an occupation. The, the business can get exhausting, you know, like the, the the hustle can make me sometimes want to give up the, you know, and the the insecurity and the imposter syndrome and the, how to keep the ball rolling so that I can keep making this work. Like the, you know, but the, the work itself, like, do I have, absolutely physically grueling days oh hell yes i drink so much coffee that's how i do that Um, (laughs) when you said i drink i thought is she gonna stop just with i drink (laughs) i drink that's how i do i just drink that's how i get through (laughs) um i mean valid but me, I'm more of a, more of a caffeine girl. Coffee uh, person, right. Caffeine. But you know, but you know, seriously, like it's a lot of 16 hour days. It's a lot of getting up before dawn, you know, and there is certainly like a process of stealing yourself. Like, okay, you know, this is going to be hard. This, you know, or, or you know, sometimes, you know, like I really, you know, some of, I often find it the most intense, the most kinetic, the most crazy situations I'm photographing in or in certain ways, it's like you're, you just kick into high gear. You don't have to mm. think about anything. Mm. There's no question of like what to do. You know exactly what you need to do, whether that's shooting a super beautiful, amazing dance performance, which is like, I, I love photographing dancers and sort of culture and all of that stuff or photographing civil unrest. You're like, okay, like this needs dog. I want to photograph that. It's all going down for me. Sometimes the hardest thing sometimes is just getting out of the car and asking a stranger if I can take their picture, you know, like, like just I at really, the very beginning, just like, right. Totally. Just getting, right you know, getting moving. I always have to be like, young lady, you get out of this car. You <laughs> ask that, but you know, I don't want to hear any excuses. No, you go like a total crazy person talking to myself. Like that's the hard stuff for me. But then the really, the real struggle I think is, is the business, is the industry, is, you know, and, and what does is, that look I, like? I have, what is, what does the business part look like that you're referring to? Like, can you give me some insight into what that's like? The business sure. part, the hard stuff. I mean, I think, you know, I've been wildly lucky and I'm so grateful. I've, you know, for years now been able to make the work that I want to make as the way I make my living. And that's just like, 
<laughs> you know that I mean that's a dream. I'm I just I have I don't have any words to express how grateful. Well, I am. you call yourself wildly lucky, but in my experience, all the wildly lucky people that I know of are really hard workers. <laughs> totally. Maybe that's I, just a coincidence, but I don't think so. I mean, I think I think two things. I do. I work. I work real hard. I'm real crazy yeah. for sure. But I also am keenly aware of the fact that for every really hard worker that gets a shot and has the dominoes fall in the right way mm-hmm. in order to get the opportunity to work mm-hmm. really hard, yep. there's a hundred fantastic hard workers that just didn't get those opportunities, okay. you know? So, so that's why I say lucky. I think it's, I think it's really fair, cool. enough. fair um, enough, you know, so I don't like, but, but, you know, it's a tough industry, you know, it's a, it's a moment when, when, you know, budgets, as we all know, have been plummeting in, in yes. the news world, right. Um, you know, where it can be hard as a photographer, I think in any genre of photography to get people mm-hmm. to appreciate imagery, especially digital imagery, yep. you know, um, you know, this is something I, I teach, oops, I, te- I teach pretty often and something I tell my students all the time is, you know, I've got a pretty good track record. I've got pretty good connections, you know, I've, I've established myself and still sometimes I'll have a, the pitch of a lifetime and it'll take me a year to get that damn thing through. And I'll yeah. ask everybody and, you know, and I'll, you're like, come on, scratching on doors. <laughs> like, this is amazing. You know? And it's, <laughs> and you know, and it, so, and that can be really, really, that can be really fun. You know, that can really get yeah. you down when you're like, yeah. I want to do this story. Yeah. And people are like, we love it. We don't have the budget right now. My boss right. hates fun. So no, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever, you know, I mean, so the, it, it just is, it's, it's, you know, and it's full on. Um, and documentary photography is not something one gets into to make a lot of money. So you're always on your hustle. Um, so, so, you know, like that, that kind of stuff, you know, and it's not to, it's not to complain because I'm, I'm super grateful, but it's the reality. Yeah. Right. Totally. It's the reality of the, of, of the business and the, and really the world we live in probably in a lot of ways. I, I, I keep thinking like in my mind, as I'm, as we're having this discussion, I keep thinking to something you said earlier and it keeps gnawing at me. So I want to go back there when you were talking about, you know, the part of your motivation um, you said, to be honest was you, you do, you're doing this for yourself, for your own growth. Um, and then you also added the other stuff. I look at that as a both and right. It just doesn't have to be an either or it's a both and, um, when, when you said that you consider the people that you photograph as your teachers, I think that was a, I think that was a beautiful thing to say. I would like you, if you wouldn't mind to t- talk to me a little bit about what it is that you've learned from your teachers. What's, what's, you look at yourself five, 10, 15 years ago, like go back. You remember yourself when you're, you know, wet behind the ears and you're really green and you're young and you're naive and all the stuff, right? Now you're a little older and you're more experienced and you've, you've, you've spent time and you've had experiences with these teachers. What have you learned? Oh man, that's a great question. Thank you. Oh boy. Um, I mean, I think the first thing that, (laughs) that I've learned over and over again, you know, Mm -hmm. is to slow down and shut up, (laughs) which, which, you know, like it, it, it sounds simple, but like, uh, Every situation, you know, and I think especially about like, you know, me when I was first getting started and like, I'm going to show the world and the injustice (laughs) and I'm going to, you know, yeah, like slow down, shut up. You're the least interesting person in the room. Like take it all in, you know, Mm. like the, you know, if you're here to tell stories, if you're here to find beauty in photographs, like sit down, take a deep breath, just listen, just look, you know, mm-hmm. like the coming in, just clack, clackety clacking is like probably in your documentary practice, something that you want to avoid as much as you can, unless you're in a hurry, which is like always, but if you're not, you know, carving out space to work slowly is really important. Um, you know, and then within that, I think, I think something really profound that I've seen again and again, all over the world, at home, abroad, um, is the kindness and generosity and camaraderie born of struggle, right? And the way that when you are in a difficult situation, 
you know, and, and I see this from on like a family level from like, you know, mothers making it work in really hard circumstances mm-hmm. to if you're in a civil unrest situation and there's a, a level of risk and, and you see the, the intense care that activists take to protect each other and to really, you know, but that, that sense of care for others and that sense that you see the most inspiring examples of care for others from people who are confronting the most difficult circumstances, right? You know, and that really, that's, you know, something that I really just makes me want to be a better person every time, you know, um, my work, you know, I've, I've covered, you know, a lot of stuff relating to migration, for example, in the U.S. and, you know, Mm -hmm. looking at, you know, these stories again and again of people placed in life-threatening situations just to get here because they were potentially leaving life-threatening situations. And, you know, the the only reason they're doing this is like for their children, for their community, you know, And, and even, you know, and when I'm spending time with, you know, families like this that maybe have like, you know, nothing in in the cupboard, you know, their first concern is like having something to offer me, you know, while I'm working in these spaces, yeah. you know, I mean, there's right just endless, endless examples of, you know, times when I'm working with people that I think are, you know, that are doing something high, that's, that's risky. And, you know, all they care about is protecting me and, right. you know, which like, um, so I think that like just that that sense of of generosity and and being communal minded, I think that's also a huge. It's a lesson that Venezuela has taught me over and over and over again, and that Venezuelan people have taught me over and over and over again. There's a lot of individualism in in my culture, in our culture, in the U.S. Yeah. Yes. And it's really been laid in stark contrast to a lot of the sort of natural inclination to help and share that I see in Venezuela among people that are confronting just extremely difficult circumstances over long periods of time. And that, that's, that's really marked me, you know, it's really changed how I see the individualism in our own culture and really made me aspire to, to, to handle things more like I see people doing in Venezuela, for example. So sort of a meandering answer, but... No, it's not. It's not. In fact, it's resonating a lot with me. You don't know this about me and my wife, of course, but we've adopted two children internationally from both uh, Thailand and Nepal. Now in Nepal, my wife was essentially detained there for a little around six months. And so she was really inundated in that culture. And it is impoverished right like really one of the extremely poor country with like virtually no access to anything that we take for granted on a very regular basis relatively speaking she she after being there for such a long time i i don't know if i can relate it because i don't want to speak for her too much but i don't know if i can relate it to like a survivor's guilt but it was almost like there was a piece of her that didn't want to come back here. Can relate. Well, I, I wondered if you could, because I was, I wasn't there for near as long as, as she was. And so I didn't develop the, the network and the relationships that she did with the people there in the same way. Um, but I had a, a small sense of it. And to hear you talk the way that you're talking, I wonder, I wonder if you could relate to that. If it's almost like, we don't even realize the the milieu that we're kind of a part of, like that we're kind of inside of, right? And then you you come out of it um, and you see these places around the world that are completely different in in virtually every way. And and after a while, you gain an appreciation for a people or a a culture that, that has been established on things that, we can't even remotely begin to fathom whether it's poverty or, or hunger or, or crime, like all the things that exist. And we, we think we have these things, or we think we see these things or experiencing or experience them that here in the United States, I don't mean to say they don't exist, but when, but in other places around the world, it's, it's on a different level, isn't it? Well, I think yes and no. 
but I mean, what I, 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 I strongly agree with what you're, what you're saying and, and what you're talking about your wife ex- experience of sort of being, of spending a long time somewhere else where the culture is super distinct and the experience is super different and suddenly feeling hesitant to come home. To come back, and I, right. And I think, and I, and I also, you know, and I also strongly relate to, you know, seeing and spending time in places where, where poverty or hunger or violence is much more prevalent than, than what we have here. Um, On a wide scale. And I guess I was, I was trying to tie it into the, the other piece that you said earlier with the communal aspect, as opposed to in the individualistic aspect, because totally, totally. You, you, and become, I think- you become a part of that communal aspect. And then you realize how individual listic your mindset or your frame of reference was before and you don't you don't want that anymore you don't want that i think i think that that's really you know i think i think one of the things i think about a lot and i think that this is something you know um i get asked about you know people are like oh you know is it scary like an extra wide place you know and like you know i feel very very strongly that while it is extraordinarily important to recognize how incredibly privileged we are in terms of physical comforts, largely in the country, although we have, of course, as you know, we have epic, you know, massive poverty that's getting worse all the time here. Yes. It it is a very violent place. Uh, I mean, the U S and that's what I mean. I don't want to just, I don't want to diminish that or dismiss that. I I certainly know that it, that it exists here as well. Totally, but it, but in a different form, right? And the yes. reality, the reality of the conveniences we have, you know, or of what poverty in the U.S. looks like, as opposed to in other places, it's you know, yes. poverty in the U.S., you know, and it takes on takes on a very different nature very often yes. because of the plenty that we have here, you know. Right. Um, and so I think being exposed to other like life circumstances is really really important, you know. But, but one thing that I think that that I've really learned and that's really been placed in, in, in contrast to me of how I think maybe some people here view it is that we pay for these privileges in illnesses in our own culture. Mm. Um, mm. And I think, I think that, you know, while we do have a lot of material comforts here and just, you know, staggering amounts, but I mean, look at the vaccine inequality, right? It's a perfect example. Like, yeah. In the U.S., vaccines are widely available. Yeah, you know, anyone there they'll give you a donut and a lottery ticket to get vaccinated, while people are dying yeah. by thousands all over the world because they right. cannot get access to these vaccines that we got first because we're such a wealthy country, right? Right. Um, Perfect example. But you know, and so, and I'm very grateful for and very uncomfortable with that the reality of that privilege. But you know, yes. that, that is what it is, right? And I think many of us feel this way, you know. But like all of these comforts that we have here come with a certain kind of individualism. There's a certain like, you know, there's, there's a, there's a spark that's missing. Sometimes there's a, there's a price. There's a price. You You said, I I think think you hit the nail on the head with that word. There's a price. Yeah. So I think, I think that that's a, a lot of times that's how I think about it. I think a lot of like, you know, sometimes there's this idea of like, Oh, like it's, you know, I, I find that there's, you know, there's, of course there's inequalities, but there's also differences and there are, <laughs> there, you know, Venezuela, which is sort of my reference point here. Cause I work there yeah. so much. There's things, there's many, many, many things about Venezuela that I prefer to hear. And that yep. makes, that makes the fact that the crisis there has made the country so unlivable for so many people all the more excruciating, right? right. Because, you yep. know, these people should should be able to enjoy their beautiful home, uh, you know, without all of the unjust, unnecessary difficulty that they're experiencing. But keep keeping but it's that not in mind. simple, right? It's not like a one, no, it's, it's not, not a one to one. No, no, no. And that's what I think that's my mind's racing a little bit. We've mentioned lots of different places, lots of different issues, and it makes me wonder like with all I'm going to call them options for lack of a better word, options for you to cover options for you or stories for you to tell with all that exists. Well, we'll say globally because you, you, you can go anywhere. You in particular um, have been so many places and have seen so many things. How do you, what's your process like for, for deciding 
where you're going to go or what you're going to choose. Like even when you're putting a pitch together, how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. I mean, so mostly I just, um, I'm kind of like a, like a dog that sees a squirrel. Um, and just like, like that, <laughs> and I'll just chase into, you know, I mean, it's not a very well, you're creative. So, I mean, in my experience, there's that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think like, I think that, I think that that's actually something really important, right. That I, mm. that, that, to mm. think about in terms of like anybody out there who's considering doing this kind of work yeah. is I don't, you know, I think that choosing what you want to photograph and document is maybe the most important choice you can make, you know, yeah. I mean, it's so much more important than light or, you know, where you go to photo school or don't, you know, I mean, like all these other technical choices are nothing right. compared to what you choose to spend your time on. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's gotta be love. It's gotta be obsession. It's, you know, and so many people choose projects, I think, where, especially when people are starting out, they, they choose stuff because it looks like something that someone whose work they like photographed or, you know, like, right because they think that it's going to get a lot of attention or yeah. look good on the gram or whatever thing. Um, <laughs> right. But I think if you, you, in order to make good work, you have to commit to it long-term and in order to commit to it long-term, you have to be obsessed with it. So like, it's really that thing that like keeps you up at night. Um, and so so it's, the, me, it's the obsession or the passion that fuels your ability to stick with it. Yeah. It's, it's, that's it. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, if I cannot be there, I will lose my mind, you know? And right. and for me, that's also been very, it's, you know, each, each project sort of inspires the next thing a lot. You know, my work has basically been like going back and forth between the U S and Latin America for years now. And what I learn in Latin America informs the way that I cover home and what I cover, the way that I cover home that informs the way that I work next time that I go abroad. And it's sort of these like ping ponging. I'm making connections in my head that maybe aren't so literal, but in my head, it's almost all one body of work. Mm -hmm. And I find myself repeating themes, you know, I, I love, I'm really, really interested in femininity and like, and like female culture and dance and the ways that that manifests, especially under in difficult circumstances and the way yeah. that performance of fem femininity can be rebellious, can be revolutionary, can be an act of survival, can be mm. an act of leadership, you know? Mm. And so I very often find myself, you know, in situations where, you know, perhaps there's a lot of violence or a lot of trauma and, but I'm, I'm finding these like absolutely awe-inspiring examples of female leadership, expression of culture, expression of power, you know, in those contexts. And I, you know, this, I just do it like every time and I don't even realize that I'm doing it until I'm doing it again. You know, something I've said before in interviews. You don't is, realize that you're getting drawn to that every time, but you find yourself like, Oh, here I am again, right? Yeah. Like, well, you know, now I'm starting to catch on. Now I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like uh, another dance team, Natalie. Okay, you know, let's, <laughs> you're just repetitive. Let's go with it. I love this shit. So, oh, can I say? Anyway, well, um, you did. Here's what I here's what I want to know regarding that, though. Okay, so you 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 have learned that this is maybe a part of who you are, right? You're maybe you're learning about yourself a little bit more. Um, and then you find yourself in these places, in these situations and circumstances, again, wherever around the globe. And, it, and, and you're, finding, you're finding out about who you are and you're also becoming, let's say it that way, right? You come back and how, how does that manifest here through and from you as opposed to what it's like in different places? Is that a strange question? Like, how does... When it flowers, right, and it blossoms here, right, because maybe it wouldn't have happened had you not been there in the same way, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that that's, that's an integral part of my process, and it's not a strange question at all. I, um, I mean, you know, for a lot of the last five years, it's, uh, it's felt a little bit like Cassandra syndrome is that the you know the Greek mythology the one that's seen the future and it's bad yes. and nobody believes her um 
So, you know, I mean, it's like this sense of like, you know, I mean, take, uh, you know, I'm covering political unrest in many different yeah. places, including here. Yes. I'm yeah. seeing polarization amplify. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing misinformation amplify. I'm yep. seeing dangerous fissures start to turn more and more violent at home. I'm seeing, you know, the politicization of fact literally kill hundreds of thousands of people uh, through the virus, you know? And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of these phenomena at different stages of their own historical timeline in other places. And so it's really, really scary and upsetting, you know, because I think especially because, and, and, you know, and this is obviously seen something that we've seen transform drastically in the last two years, Yep. the U S for so long was so complacent. And so sort of unable to recognize that this slow drip of erosion of our democracy was starting to get really fast, you know, and that, you know, that the inequalities that have been violent and oppressive in our country since its inception, you know, could not be swept under the rug anymore. You know, that there that we were yeah. reaching a boiling point in so many different ways. And and some of them yes. I think some of them I think I'm thank God, you know, that this but but also at what cost and all of these things. So I think that at like what cost, sure. You know, we should never have had to get to such a crisis point to start addressing right. some of the also drastic that. inequalities in our society. Sure. Sure. But um so I think like, you know, in terms of I mean, I do think of my work or my practice. The reason I do this is because I'm interested in history, right? I want to see yeah. what's happening. And I don't want to take anybody else's word for it. I want to go see it myself. Yes. Yep. I get that piece. And like, you know, so I've it, watching our timeline and then seeing parallels in other places that are on like a different timeline and seeing maybe some alternate futures and how this could play out. It's not great. Um, but that also, you know, again, inspires me to try to try to make good work and true work about what's happening here in our country. Okay, that that is very well said and unintentionally leads me into the last thing that I was I I, I do want to talk about Canon. I know you're an explorer of light. I know that you love Canon, you use Canon gear, and and if this next piece goes well, we can dive into that and finish up, but thank you, Canon. I, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Love um, you guys. Really yes, appreciate yes. you. Okay. Now, yes, yes, go ahead. Next uh, but, and, and I thought to myself, so this is my last piece that I, that I jotted down real fast. And I thought if, if this interview goes well, and it seems as though we have a good rapport, I'll ask about this. And if it doesn't, then I'll just skip it and she'll never know. <laughs> um, so I, that tells you where I'm at with things right now. Um, I have a good friend named Kevin Kubota, and he's he's in uh, Bend, Oregon, longtime photographer, wonderful human being, all the stuff. And and in my third or fourth episode on this podcast, he and I talked about the ethics of photojournalism, and it made me think of um, when I was th knowing that I was going to talk to you. It made me think of a photo called um, the, the Vulture and the Little Girl. And I, you're probably familiar with that in that whole situation. Um, and the man's name was uh, Kevin Carter, I think, that, that, that shot that image. Um, and, and that's an extreme example, in, in, in my view, of the whole ethical piece, the dilemma piece, like when you're covering something when you're covering an atrocity, right? Like, is there, I'm not even going to say where, I'm not going to start with asking, where is the line? I'm not going to ask that. I'm going to ask you in your mind, is there one? When you're in a situation, are you thinking to yourself, I need, people need to know about this. I have to cover this. I have to get it out there um, to others in the world that need to be aware of this. Um, or do you ever think to yourself, I need to, I need, I'm here. I need help. Like how, how do you navigate 
those two pieces when you're in a situation where something is occurring, like something big is occurring? So short answer to your question is, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a line. <laughs> and I think it is. Uh, okay, great. I think it is way before historic interpretations of how photojournalism works, maybe. Really? Uh, would put it. I mean, I think for me personally, I think it's actually pretty simple. If I can help, my duty is to help. If I, help if first. I, if you can help, your duty is to help first. Like, yes. I mean, am I gonna like? I if if I'm in a position where I am capable of doing good, or you know, of helping somebody who is injured, preventing someone from getting injured, right. you know, I'm gonna put the camera down and if you don't you're a sociopath right i think the i think the you know i mean that 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 image is a perfect example right you know and i'm sure you know the history and you've probably talked about it with you know but in that particular situation we've got a starving child but they're being photographed outside of a feeding center so like you know there was no actual help that the photographer could offer that well and he was under he was under from from what i understand there were armed guards everywhere that wouldn't have allowed him to do anything anyway yeah. And he's, I mean, and the, the vulture wasn't actually stalking the child. It was sort of an right. artificial ju- juxtaposition and the, the right. you know, and, and, and he committed suicide after, I mean, you, you know, and, this, and, this, and it's a really, really example of these issues that, are, you know, and it, it is very complicated. There are more often than not when I am photographing a terrible situation, there is nothing I can do. And that can be really, really hard for people to understand. They don't get it. They're not there. That's, I, keep, I think that's maybe what I'm getting at. Right? But, you know, it's super easy to armchair quarterback any situation that I see here in, in my comfortable home in the United States of America when I look at an image and say, well, how come, how come, why not? Why didn't they, you know, all the stuff, right? But right. it's and different I, when I, you're there. But I think it's so that so I think it's like it, I think it's really twofold. I think it's both. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Like, because so many situations that you're like, why don't you stop? You know, there's such, you know, if if you know if, if I'm photographing a situation of police brutality, which sadly, especially in this country, although also in many other countries, I've photographed many, mm-hmm. many incidents of police beating somebody, brutalizing them, you know, and worse. Um, and you know, that's one of those circumstances where like, I am, I'm not a group of armed men, which is what the police are. I got nothing. The best, the best thing I can, you know, I can scream, which I have, and I will. And if that makes me impressional, cool. You know, I can like scream. I can, I can call attention. I mean, and I, you know, I may even try to like in, in certain situations, you know, physically help if I can, but if I'm like wildly, ridiculously overpowered, then probably the best thing I can do is document. The best thing you can do is document it. it. Yes. Yep. You know, if, Mm. if, uh, you know, but then there are other situations and I think this is really important to point out because I think the, I'm a photojournalist. I can't interfere in the scene. It's not my, I'm here to document, not help is sometimes used Mm. as a cop-out. I think it's often used as a yes cop-out. i think it's i think it can be both right that's what you're saying exactly right. i think it's right. both i think that you know it it makes it very easy to say i don't interfere ever yeah and i don't think that we coming into some of the worst situations in people's lives have a right to just say we have a blanket rule and that's what mm-hmm. we do i mean what what are you like a parking meter made and you're just like nope right. you're getting a ticket no matter what like i'm not going to help you yeah. Like, no, we're yep. supposed to, you know, there are many, many, many situations where I think that that makes it easy for people in our profession who historically maybe have little in common with the people that they're covering, which I think is a huge mm. problem that needs to be addressed and is like slowly yeah. starting to get addressed right now. Right, right. Um, but, you know, and this is, you know, I've been in situations where I'm on a high pressure assignment. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, the stakes are really high for me professionally. Mm-hmm. And I walk into a dangerous traumatic situation that I need to get the shot for. And there's like a screaming unattended, freaked out child witnessing some things that are going to ruin their lives. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of one particular instance and I put down my camera and I picked the, the kid and 
carry the child to safety. You know, and that doesn't make me a hero. That's being a human being. If I if I sat there and made my picture because I was thinking about the double check I was going to get in the magazine and just ignored what I know as a human being, which is every minute that this kid is in this room right now, seeing this mm. is damaging them. Yeah. Like seriously smash my cameras. I'm done. I'm not enough of a human being to deserve mm. the privilege of doing this work, mm. mm-hmm. you know? And that, and then, it, and I think that, that there's many, many circumstances where you have to make a really, really tough call. And maybe there, there's not a line, but it's, can I, can I do more good with my camera or do I have an obligation to help another human being or a group of human beings, you know? And there's a step further also, which is, does the work do harm? Right. Because I think also the same conversation about the imperative to document gives us a little bit too much credit. And this tracks back a little bit to like my, my first, the first part of this conversation, which is, you know, yes, Yes, making documents of history is super, super important, but there is no single picture, you know, that if you're going to do harm with it, is your picture going to get somebody arrested? Is your picture going to traumatize somebody? Is your picture going to get them deported? Is your picture going to get somebody bullied at school? You know, like what is your picture, you know, uh, thinking about some of the time I spent covering the opioid crisis, for example, in the U.S., right? Um, Mm. where, you know, which is, which is obviously another dire epidemic that we have something that Mm -hmm. hits close to home. I've lost several beautiful, amazing friends to opioids. Um, and you know, like when you're photographing somebody who's high, you don't have informed consent from that person. Oh, right. You know, and so there's a really, really tricky ethical balance. And this is just one, you know, this is one example. And there's so many like this, you know, like, how do you do that? How do you tell the story? This is a crisis. These companies need to be held responsible. Mm -hmm. We need more resources to be devoted to addiction treatment, to reducing stigma and increasing care for people who are suffering from an illness, right? We need impactful visual coverage of this crisis but mm-hmm. you're on a ride along you sure sh- you're shooting somebody overdosing yeah that's really complicated right and you know and i've had situations where people who are high out of their minds are like yeah yeah no it's cool whatever shoot this you know but it's for not right and i don't want to say i i know of a lot of important historical work that has pressured some important advances to be made on legislation and on holding people responsible that was made. And I'm sure it was made partly with consent of people that were high. And I don't want to say that's wrong, but like, how do we do this better? And I think that the, the, my sort of final rambling thought about this is the way to do photojournalism better is not to create, there is no blanket rule, right? This idea of like, you never help or you always help or whatever, like that, that sounds really easy, but this, we work in far too complex circumstances to create a simple list of things. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really, really willing to accept that the practice of photojournalism has never been done in a way that wasn't problematic, ethically, really, really tenuous, you know, colonial racist, sexist classes the way that this work has been practiced has a really is it the nature of the beast i think it is and i but i think but i don't think it has to be i think we have to accept you don't think it has to be that's the big piece yeah i don't think i don't think it has to be i think that i think that we have to accept that it is murky we have to stop pretending that it's a purely sort of humanitarian practice that's why one of the reasons why i always come out and say i do it's because i want to i'm not saving the world i know i'm not saving the world maybe i'm saving me you know, but like, I think if we accept that it's a really, really complex and ethical quagmire of an occupation, then we can start to deal with the complexities, which are, this isn't easy. You know, if, and if you, if it's easy for you ethically, I think you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. It doesn't mean that it doesn't doesn't create a, like provide a service to society, but we have to sort of sit with the discomfort of what its history has Mm. been, what its current practice has been, and then how do we make it better? Very, very well said. Um, 
That was wonderful. I, now, now let's end on a lighter note. <laughs> Tell, I would like to know a little <laughs> bit about um, you being an explorer of light because wh whether, you know, it, that's, that's reality, right? Just, all this other stuff is too. And you're a canon explorer of light. How does that fit in with who you are and what you're doing Right. And what your and what essentially what your mission is moving forward. Well, thank you for allowing us to end on such a happy note. Um, you know, yeah. I I'm just so honored and excited and grateful. I got this phone call about a month ago from Canon and it really is just a total game changer for me. Mm -hmm. Um I've been shooting Canon since I started photography. Um and I have found that gear to it's, you know, it just works. And no matter how much I beat it senseless and do stupid, <laughs> horrible things to it, you know, yeah. and when yeah. I wrap it, when it's pouring rain, when yeah. I get the, when the, the camera gets water cannoned, which is a thing that happened and the, oh it worked my. perfectly afterwards. I mean, wow. like, the, the gear is super, super sturdy and I beat everything I use to a pulp. So having something that just works no matter what, uh, is a huge blessing. And, um, you know, and then, you know, and for me, it's just intuitive. I'm not a gearhead, you know, like, I don't, like, I, I want something that I can, that I don't have to think about so that I can think about right. the people so that I can think about the light so that I can, you right. know, think about my surroundings. Um, and you know, and, and Canon is like an extension of my hand, you know, and I, I love, I'm very, very grateful, you know, and then also being an explorer of light means, means two really important big picture things for me. One, mm. you were asking about the hard parts of the, of the, mm -hmm. of the business. And I was talking about, you know, the, the sort of the financial stuff, keeping everything moving, not, you know, knowing that I will have good gear, to support my work yeah, means that I can focus on doing good work. And, you know, right. and, and that's just a huge, that's just a huge load off, right? That, that means mm -hmm. everything. I'm so grateful for that. And then also, you know, there's a real legacy of, of amazing women, um, particularly and men too. I mean, that's a, not the guys, but you know, I, I, I've always, you know, gravitated towards, towards women, uh, you know, that I look up to in the field and just, I want to shout her out because Stephanie Sinclair, uh, who's been a longtime explorer of light, is like a personal hero of mine in so many yeah. ways. Um, she lent me some very critical gear uh, the first time I went to Venezuela and gave me a pep talk that really just like when, you know, baby me was getting on that plane and I was scared out of my mind. I was like, Stephanie says I can do it. You know, it was very generous. <laughs> her. She didn't know That's me so very great. well. Like she really didn't know me at all, but she, you know, and, you know, in the way that what she's done with her work of like founding Too Young to Wed, of, of taking these issues that she's encountered out there as a photojournalist and saying, I'm going to do something about this, right? I'm not going to stand by, I'm, I, maybe I can't fix these issues right now while I'm on assignment. So I'm going to create a global foundation to, to help with the issue of child marriage, mm -hmm. you know? That's something I really look up to. And she's just one of the examples of the amazing, amazing roster on the, the, the EOL list. But, you know, being in her company, it was like, wow, okay. <laughs> like, this is a dream come true for me. Wrap up with um, something that you would say, especially in particular to the, to, to the like little girls that may at some point be older girls that are listening to this. If, if, if you have, if you haven't, I'm, I want to give you an opportunity. I think I can't help but think of my daughter. She's 12 years old. She just shot in the room next to me. She shot several dozen images this morning and sent them to me, uh, to work on. Um, and she's growing up and, and, and I want, I want her to, I want her to be able to say that somebody like you spoke to her the way that Stephanie spoke to you. What, what would you say to somebody in that position if, if you know, given the opportunity right now? Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. Um, I think, I think one of my, I think, sorry, I'm like organizing my head here, but I'm putting you on the spot. I know I'm I doing. I think one of the 
important things is <laughs> it's okay. It's your job. Oh, I think, I think one of the most important things is to not let people tell you what you should want huh. and not let society make you afraid of what you want deep down inside. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that like one of the worst effects of sexism and patriarchy, and this also goes for racism and white supremacy, is that living in a society that is, that, you know, that tells you that you should occupy a certain role over and over again in so many different ways, um, it can limit your imagination for yourself. It can limit what you think you're allowed to want for yourself or what you're able, even able to conceive hmm. as a possible future for yourself, right? This is hmm. why I mentioned Stephanie Sinclair because role models are so important in this way. This is why, you know, more women, you know, and, and more women in photography is one of the reasons it's so important so that you can see people and imagine a course similar for yourself. So, yeah. you know, I think for me, I knew at first it took me a long time to figure out I wanted to be a photographer, but then it's, it took me a really long time to figure out that I wanted to do hard news. And then it took me a couple of years beyond that to not feel that it was like a dirty secret. Okay. You know, because I felt ridiculous. I felt ridiculous yeah. saying that I wanted to cover political violence and civil unrest and work in high risk situations. I felt like I was a silly little girl, you know, and yeah. I was so jealous of the young men around me who I felt like there was space for them to be like, oh, I'm just going to haul off and go do this crazy thing because I'm a man and we do right. this. Right. And I, I didn't, it took me, you know, it took me such a long time to like actually hear the little voice inside me being like me too. And then once I heard it, I was like, shh, shh, you're going to embarrass us. You know, oh, <laughs> like I didn't actually oh, want to say it. Wow. And wow. I, you know, and it took me, and then it took me, you know, X period of time to like finally be willing to take the leap and then longer than that to not feel absurd, you know, and all mm -hmm. of this is essentially, you know, nonsense gender role conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think right now we're, we're certainly living through a time where there's, where, where these, these ridiculous molds are starting to be, starting to be busted wide open, yes. but but the conditioning continues. I mean, we're talking about thousands of years of this, so it's not going to go away quickly. Right. And I think right. one of the things to ask yourself is, is my imagination being limited by what I'm told is appropriate Yes. Okay. for a person like me? You know, mm -hmm. whatever that means in terms of race or gender, or class, you know, there's so many ways that like society can keep you down. What right. are we allowed to imagine? And so I hope that little girls out there allow themselves to imagine whatever they want. Oh, gosh. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> well, Natalie, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you so much for the really great questions. I, <laughs> well, I, I drank too much coffee. I probably said a lot of, a lot of things you, that later are going to be like, you were, you, you were wonderful. Where, where can people find you? Just tell me that and we'll wrap it up. Um, so I'm, like I'm at Natalie Kesar, N-A-T-A-L-I-E-K-E-Y-S-S-A-R on all the things, mm -hmm. um, except really I use Twitter like once a week and I try to stay off Instagram, but I'm still all over that thing. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so that's, you, you can find me on the internet with the rest of my generation spending way too much time there. <laughs> um, Oh, wow. Well, speaking of time, thank you for sharing an hour of yours with me. It was a wonderful experience for me, and I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me, and for, thank you really for the very thoughtful questions. I thought that you were, you were very, that this was a really interesting conversation, so I really appreciate the, the different turns you took us on. <laughs> well, I, was, I didn't know where to go half the time, but <laughs> it, it was it was rewarding for me so i really appreciate it and have a wonderful day today you too likewise tell tell your daughter i said it's a good luck with the with the photography i will i will do that thank you all right take care thank you so much